0: Chapter One of the Diamond Pin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Céline Major. The Diamond Pin by Carolyn Wells. One, a certain date. Well, go to church then, and I hope to goodness you'll come back in a more spiritual frame of mind though how you can feel spiritual in that flibbertigibbet dress is more than i know an actress indeed no mummer's masks have ever blotted the scutcheon of my family tree the clydes were decent god-fearing people and i don't propose miss that you shall disgrace the name ursula pell shook her good-looking grey head and glowered at her pretty niece who was getting into a comfortable though not elaborate motor-car i know you didn't propose it aunt ursula returned the smiling girl i thought up the scheme myself and i decline to let you have credit of its origin discredit you mean and mrs pell sniffed haughtily here's some money for the contribution plate iris see that you put it in and don't appropriate it yourself the slender aristocratic old hand half covered by a falling lace frill dropped a coin into iris's outheld palm and the girl perceived it was one cent she looked at her aunt in amazement for mrs pell was a millionaire then thinking better of her impulse to voice an indignant protest iris got into the car immediately she saw a dollar bill on the seat beside her and she knew that was for the contribution plate and the penny was a joke of her aunt's for ursula pell had a queer twist in her fertile old brain that made her enjoy the temporary discomfiture of her friends whenever she was able to bring it about to see any one chagrined nonplussed or made suddenly to feel ridiculous was to mrs pell an occasion of sheer delight to do her justice her whimsical tricks usually ended in the gratification of the victim in some way as now when iris thinking her aunt had given her a penny for the collection found the dollar ready for that worthy cause but such things are irritating and were particularly so to iris clyde whose sense of humour was of a different trend in fact iris's whole nature was different from her aunt's and therein lay most of the difficulties of their living together for there were difficulties the erratic emphatic dogmatic old lady could not sympathize with the high-strung high-spirited young girl and as a result there was more friction than should be in any well-regulated family and mrs pell had a decided penchant for practical jokes than which there is nothing more abominable but members of mrs pell's household put up with these because if they didn't they automatically ceased to be members of mrs pell's household one member had made this change a nephew winston bannard had resented his aunt's gift of a trick cigar which blew up and sent fine sawdust into his eyes and nose and her follow-up of a box of perfectos was insufficient to keep him longer in the uncertain atmosphere of her otherwise pleasant country home and now iris clyde had announced her intention of leaving the old roof also her pretext was that she wanted to become an actress and that was true but had mrs pell been more companionable and easy to live with iris would have curbed her histrionic ambitions nor is it beyond the possibilities that iris chose the despised profession because she knew it would enrage her aunt to think of a clyde going into the depths of ignominy which the stage represented to mrs Pell for iris clyde at twenty-two had quite as strong a will and inflexible a determination as her aunt at sixty-two and though they oftenest ran parallel yet when they criss-crossed neither was ready to yield the fraction of a point for the sake of peace in the family and it was after one of their most heated discussions after a duel of words that flicked with sarcasm and rasped with innuendo that iris cool and pretty in her summer costume started for church leaving mrs pell irate and still nervously quivering from her own angry tirade iris smiled and waved the bill at her aunt as the car started and then suddenly looked aghast and leaned over the side of the car as if she had dropped the dollar but the car sped on and iris waved frantically pointing to the spot where she had seemed to drop the bill and motioning to her aunt to go out there and get it this mrs pell promptly did only to be rewarded by a ringing laugh from iris and a wave of the bill in the girl's hand as the car slid through the gates and out of sight silly thing grumbled ursula pell returning to the piazza where she had been sitting but she smiled at the way her niece had paid her back in her own coin if a dollar bill can be considered coin this then was the way the members of the pell household were expected to conduct themselves nor was it only the family but the servants also were frequent butts for the misplaced hilarity of their mistress one cook left because of a tiny mouse imprisoned in her work basket one first-class gardener couldn't stand a scarecrow made in a ridiculous caricature of himself and one small scullery-maid objected to unexpected and startling booze from dark corners but servants could always be replaced and so for that matter could relatives for mrs bell had many kinsfolk and her wealth would prove a strong magnet to most of them indeed as outsiders often exclaimed why mind a harmless joke now and then which was all very well for the outsiders but it is far from pleasant to live in continual expectation of salt in one's tea or cotton in one's croquettes so winston had picked up his law-books and sought refuge in new york city and iris after a year's further endurance was thinking seriously of following suit and yet ursula pell was most kind generous and indulgent iris had been with her for ten years and as a child or a very young girl she had not minded her aunt's idiosyncrasy had indeed rather enjoyed the foolish tricks but of late they had bored her and their constant recurrence so wore on her nerves that she wanted to go away and order her life for herself the stage attracted her though not insistently she planned to live in bachelor apartments with a girl chum who was an artist and hoped to find congenial occupation of some kind she rather harped on the actress proposition because it so thoroughly annoyed her aunt and matters between them had now come to such a pass that they teased each other in any and every way possible this was entirely mrs pell's fault for if she hadn't had her peculiar trait of practical joking iris never would have dreamed of teasing her on the whole they were good friends and often a few days would pass in perfect harmony by reason of ursula not being moved by her imp of the perverse to cut up any silly prank then, Iris would drink from a glass of water to find it had been tinctured with asafoetida, or brush her hair and then learn that some drops of glue had been put on the bristles of her hairbrush. Anger or sulks of these performances were just what Mrs. Pell wanted, so Iris roared with laughter and pretended to think it all very funny, whereupon Mrs. Bell did the sulking and Iris scored. So it was not perhaps surprising that the girl concluded to leave her aunt's home and shipped for herself. It would, she knew, probably mean disinheritance but after all money is not everything and as the old lady grew older her pranks became more and more an intolerable nuisance and iris wanted to go out into the world and meet people the neighbors in the small town of berrien where they lived were uninteresting and there were few visitors from the outside world though less than fifteen miles from new york iris rarely invited her friends to visit her because of the probability that her aunt would play some absurd trick on them this had happened so many times even though mrs pell had promised that it should not occur that iris had resolved never to try it again the best friends and advisers of the girl were mr bowen the rector and his wife the two were also friends of mrs pell and perhaps out of respect for his cloth the old lady never played tricks on the bowens it was their habit to dine every sunday at pellbrook and the occasion was always the pleasantest of the whole week the farm was a large one about a mile from the village and included old-fashioned orchards and hayfields as well as more modern greenhouses and gardens there was a lovely brook a sunny slope of hillside and a delightful grove of maples and added to these a long-distance view of hazy hills that made pellbrook one of the most attractive country places for many miles around ursula pell sat on her veranda quite contentedly gazing over the landscape and thinking about her multitudinous affairs i s'pose i oughtn't to tease that child she thought smiling at the recollection i don't know what i'd do if she should leave me win went but land you can't keep a young man down a girl now is different i guess i'll take iris to new york next winter and let her have a little fling i'll pretend i'm going alone and leave her here to keep the house and then i'll take her too she'll be so surprised The old lady's eyes twinkled, and she fairly reveled in the joke she would play on her niece. And not to do her an injustice, she meant no harm. She really thought only of the girl's glad surprise at learning she was to go, and gave no heed to the misery that might be caused by the previous disappointment. A woman came out from the house to ask directions for dinner. Yes, Polly, said Ursula Pell. The Bowens will dine here as usual. Dinner at one-thirty sharp. As the rector has to leave at three to attend some meeting or other, pity they had to have it on Sunday. There was some discussion of the menu, and then Polly, the old cook, shuffled away, and again Ursula Pell sat alone, an actress she ruminated, my little Iris, an actress, well, I guess not, but I can persuade her out of that foolishness. I'll bet why, if I can't do it any other way, I'll take her travelling I'll why, I'll give her her inheritance now, and let her amuse herself being an heiress before I'm dead and gone. Why should I wait for that, anyway? Suppose I give her the pin at once. I'd do it today, I believe, while the notion's on me, if I only had it here. I can get it from Mr. Chapin in a few days, and then— Well, then, Iris would have something to interest her. I wonder how she'd like a whole king's ransom of jewels. She's like a princess herself and then too that girl ought to marry and marry well i suppose i ought to have been thinking about this before i must talk to the bowens of course there's no one in berrien i did think one time Wynne might fall in love with her but then he went away and now he never comes up here any more i wonder if iris cares especially for Wynne. she never says anything about him but that's no sign one way or the other i'd like her to marry roger downing but she snubs him unmercifully and he is a little countrified with iris's beauty and the fortune i shall leave her she could marry anybody on earth i believe i'll take her travelling a bit say to california and then spend the winter in new york and give the girl a chance and i must quit teasing her but i do love to see that surprised look when i play some outlandish trick on her the old lady's eyes assumed a vixenish expression and her smile widened till it was a sly almost diabolical grin quite evidently she was even then planning some new and particularly disagreeable joke on iris at length she rose and went into the house to write in her diary ursula pell was of most methodical habits and a daily journal was regularly kept the main part of the house was four square a wide hall running straight through the centre with doors front and back on the left as one entered the big living-room was in front and behind it a smaller sitting-room which was mrs pell's own not that anyone was unwelcome there but it held many of her treasures and individual belongings and served as her study or office for the transaction of the various business matters in which she was involved frequently her lawyer was closeted with her for long confabs for ursula pell was greatly given to the pleasurable entertainment of changing her will she had made more wills than lawyer chapin could count and each in turn was duly drawn up and witnessed and the previous one destroyed her diary usually served to record the changes she proposed making and when the time was ripe for a new will the diary was requisitioned for direction as to the testamentary document the wealth of ursula pell was enormous far more so than one would suppose from the simplicity of her household appointments this was not due to miserliness but to her simple tastes in her frugal early life her fortune was the bequest of her husband who now dead more than twenty years had amassed a great deal of money which he had invested almost entirely in precious stones it was his theory and belief that stocks and bonds were uncertain whereas gems were always valuable his collection included some world-famous diamonds and rubies and a set of emeralds that were historic but nobody save ursula pell herself knew where these stones were whether in safe deposit or hidden on her own property she had never given so much as a hint to her family or her lawyer james chapin knew his eccentric old client better than to inquire concerning the whereabouts of her treasure and made and remade the wills disposing of it without comment a few of the smaller gems mrs pell had given to iris and to young bannard and some smaller still to more distant relatives but the bulk of the collection had never been seen by the present generation she often told iris that it should be all hers eventually but iris didn't seriously bank on the promise for she knew her erratic aunt might quite conceivably will the jewels to some distant cousin in a moment of pique at her niece for iris was not diplomatic never had she catered to her aunt's whims or wishes with a selfish motive she honestly tried to live peaceably with mrs pell but of late she had begun to believe that impossible and was planning to go away as usual on sunday morning ursula pell had her house to herself her modest establishment consisted of only four servants who engaged additional help as their duties required purdy the old gardener was the husband of polly the cook agnes the waitress also served as lady's-maid when occasion called for it campbell the chauffeur completed the menage, and all other workers and there were a good many were employed by the day and did not live at pellbrook mrs pell rarely went to church and on sunday mornings campbell took iris to the village agnes accompanied them as she too attended the episcopal service purdy and his wife drove an old horse and still older buckboard to a small church near by which better suited their type of piety polly was a marvel of efficiency and managed cleverly to go to meeting without in any way delaying or interfering with her preparations for the sunday dinner indeed ursula pell would have no one around her who was not efficient waste and waste motion were equally taboo in that household the mistress of the place made her customary round of the kitchen quarters and finding everything in its usual satisfactory condition returned to her own sitting-room and took her diary from her desk at half-past twelve the Purdies returned and at one o'clock the motor-car brought its load from the village well well mr bowen how do you do the hostess greeted them as they arrived and dear mrs bowen come right in and lay off your bonnet the wide hall with its tables chairs and mirrors offered ample accommodations for hats and wraps and soon the party were seated on the front part of the broad veranda that encircled three sides of the house mr bowen was stout and jolly and his slim shadow of a wife acted as a sort of greek chorus agreeing with and echoing his remarks and opinions conversation was in a gay and bantering key and mrs pell was in high good-humour indeed she seemed nervously excited and a little hysterical but this was not entirely unusual and her guests fitted their mood to hers a chance remark led to mention of mrs pell's great fortune of jewels and mr bowen declared that he fully expected she would bequeath them all to his church to be made into a wonderful chalice not a bad idea exclaimed ursula pell and one i've never thought of i'll get mr chapin over here to-morrow to change my will who will be the loser asked the rector to whom are they willed at present that's telling and mrs pell smiled mysteriously don't forget you've promised me the wonderful diamond pin auntie said iris bristling up a little what diamond pin asked mrs bowen curiously oh for years aunt ursula has promised me a marvellous diamond pin the most valuable of her whole collection haven't you auntie yes iris and mrs pell nodded her head that pin is certainly the most valuable thing i possess it must be a marvel then said mr bowen his eyes opening wide for i've heard great tales of the pell collection i thought they were all unset jewels most of them are mrs pell spoke carelessly but the pin i shall leave to iris at that moment dinner was announced and the group went into the dining-room this large and pleasant room was in front on the right and back of it were the pantries and kitchens a long rear extension provided the servants quarters which were numerous and roomy the house was comfortable rather than pretentious and though the village folk wondered why so rich a woman continued to live in such an old-fashioned home those who knew her well realized that the place exactly met ursula pell's requirements the dinner was in harmony with the atmosphere of the home plentiful well-cooked food there was but no attempt at elaborate confections or any great formality of service one concession to modernity was a small dish of stuffed dates at each cover and of these mrs Spell spoke in scornful tones some of iris's foolishness she observed she wants all sorts of knick-knacks that she considers stylish i don't at all Auntie," denied the girl flushing with annoyance but when you ate those dates at mrs graham's the other day you enjoyed them so much i thought i'd make some she gave me her recipe and i think they're very nice i do too agreed mrs bowen eating a date appreciatively and feeling sorry for iris's discomfiture for though many girls might not mind such disapproval iris was of a sensitive nature and cringed beneath her aunt's sharp words in an endeavour to cover up her embarrassment she picked up a date from her own portion and bit off the end From the fruit, spurted a stream of jet black ink, which stained Iris's lips, offended her palate, and spilling on her pretty white frock, utterly ruined the dainty chiffon and lace. She comprehended instantly; her aunt, to annoy her, had managed to conceal ink in one of the dates and place it where Iris would naturally pick it up first. With an angry exclamation, the girl left the table and ran upstairs. End of Chapter One.